0: And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Mr.
1: Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. Aye.
0: Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you use the captain?
1: Do we violate the treaty, Captain?
0: Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions.
1: Distract sequence completed and engaged. No!
0: Yes, I found Mrs. Spock! I'm talking Mr. Spock to Mrs. Spock, hand! understand? This is the Enterprise.
1: We are under attack. Fire, Miss Scott. Hello, and welcome to Star- oh, oh, shit. You okay? You startled me. Did you d- dump your coffee on you or something? <laughs>
0: ah! Right right. In my lap, my space coffee. Do you,
1: do you want me to take a less ag- aggressive approach?
0: No, that was good. Keep going.
1: Okay. And welcome to Star Trek <laughs> Monthly Monday, number 75. The original series edition. I'm one of your hosts, Mellow Chris Honeywell, (laughs) and I'm joined here with laid-back Scott Gardner. Hello.
0: Welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday on the Two True Freaks Network.
1: At night. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) Coming to you with another Star Trek episode action pack taking place on three sets or so <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm looking forward to this one I like the episode that we are going to discuss this time around and I'm hoping that uh, that we have a lot to discuss on this one because we were just mentioning to each other uh, before we got officially started here that we we do have some stuff some kind of preamble-y stuff to talk about but I'm kind of thinking, We've got enough to talk about with the episode itself, uh, you know, between you know the content of the episode, the stars in the episode, and things that spun out of this episode and in into the greater world of Trek, that we can probably fill an episode just about what we're talking about. So. Uh, we have decided that all of our uh, kind of uh, you know what's going on with us and you know, all that preambley stuff we will dump in the next episode because I'm not entirely convinced that what we're covering <laughs> each gen episode really is all that media subject if you know what I mean so we'll see how that goes but yeah so uh, <laughs> you with never that it's going to turn out <laughs>
1: <laughs> that could spiral that either s- way.
0: yeah yeah, definitely um so with that said do we do we have anything for this one or we just want to go ahead and uh and dive well first of all let me ask you uh what what are you what do you think of this episode it was this because i'm trying to remember what your reaction was when when we announced that this was the one that we were doing for this time around
1: i was i was i I was interested to get back to it because this one and i knew it was going to be one of these it's one of the ones I didn't uh, that I did that I considered kind of boring as a kid. When it came on, it was like oh, okay, you know, right? It, it was like not very action packed, and it was had a lot of like lovey-dovey emotional stuff in it, you know, <laughs>
0: Mister Lovey-Dovey.
1: And so it wasn't it wasn't my favorite as a kid, and it also annoyed me that they they wasted a photo novel on this one as a kid,
0: <laughs> but. Um, yeah, also, I wouldn't imagine that this is the most fascinating page turner of of photo novels. This particular episode, although I find the episode to be a good one, yeah, you know, it's it would be just a lot of standing around and like it's dialogue, a lot of dialogue. Yeah, there's nothing. Okay.
1: There's nothing, you know, and the most visual stuff to it really has to do is it's not like great special effects, but it really has more to do. Um, what or it would translates better in visual motion, which is, you know, I think maybe the most visually interesting thing is when they're looking through the doorway and you see flashes of, you know, different time periods a la the the Guardian of Forever or something like that. Right. That's the most visually interesting part. Everything else is just (laughs) backlot sets, you know, stock sets pulled out. But, um... I think this made a photo novel because I think this one's particularly well-lit. That's my theory. I'd (laughs) like to find a book. There's one guy who basically did all the photo novels for the longest time. His name was Richard Enoble. Enoble or or something like that. And he basically did all all the different weird – like the – Ones of like Frankenstein and stuff like that that are more like a square with dialogue under them, and then the ones that are more like comics. He did all of those, and you know, he, he, he was really into it and going through. So, my, my theory is either they only had a limited number of them for whatever copyright reasons that he had access to. And the, uh, or this one was chosen because everything's really well lit and it it, it it it's very clear and precise, so it makes good pictures, I guess. They're good, clear pictures. Right. <laughs> That's all I could think of because this one doesn't... And this one also has a lot projected by the acting in it, you know, that everybody gets to chew the scenery a little bit and that doesn't project as well as, you know, photo, photo comics. So it's, it was a weird choice, but I thought this one has high potential to be one of those ones that I'll appreciate more as an adult. You know, when I start, when I start, you know, and I, and, and I, and I'm also, when I'm watching it now, I'm thinking about, you know, where in, in this whole Star Trek timeline, the actors were, you know, mentally at this point, they were all, I think, you know, they they were all probably checking out a little bit because the production values were going down, and it was on its way out. But um I found this one had a good script to it. it had a strong script and that that saves it from season 3 idis. Right? Um, I well, enjoyed it a lot. Basically, yes, I enjoyed it a lot more as an adult. I enjoyed it a lot, actually. It <laughs> felt dif- It felt whole like the way I remembered it and the way I watched it were were completely at odds. Did not match, you know, for, for the better.
0: It occurs to me that we have not announced the episode that we are discussing. This one is called All Our Yesterdays. Our Yesterdays. And I learned something new today that I... Uh, yeah, I guess I could say I, I never, I, I would say I never realized it or I never consciously thought about it. I mean, if I was paying attention, then yeah, then duh, it's obvious. But having it pointed out to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I never thought about that before. And that is the fact that this is the penultimate episode of Star Trek, the original series. Yeah. This is the next to last episode. And having watched it again, now I always liked this one as a kid, but I'll agree with everything that you said that it's 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 slow from the aspect of if you're a kid. Right, right. If you're a kid that 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 came into Star Trek for the reasons that we came in is either the you know the action or the humor, this one doesn't really have either one. It, it's not a slam bam actioner, although Kirk does get you know to have a little bit of action toward the very beginning of the episode. and it's not particularly like you know you you can really make a lot of fun of it. you know, there's not a lot of great lines you could pull out and and you know in a, in a humorous way. There's not a lot of, Shatner hamming it up or anything like that so it falls more in that realm of a cerebral talky, romancy episode, which, yeah, I, I agree with you. As kids, those didn't add up to the episodes that we particularly liked a lot.
1: Well, as kids, but, you're watching it going, hey, get out of the cave, you guys and get back to your time. What are you thinking? You know, right, ditch yep. that chick, and now I'm watching it going, <laughs> yeah, life alone in a cave with Marriott Hartley might not be too bad in that <laughs> <laughs> that, little, that little fur bi- bikini
0: but uh knowing what where things are headed and knowing what the actual uh final episode of the series was once i realized you know once it was pointed out to me that this was the penultimate episode and, and now you know coming off a fresh rewatch of it it's really kind of sad that this wasn't the final episode because it's a damn good episode to go out on. I mean, it if they were gonna, if, one, yeah, yeah, this would have been a lot better than Turnabout Intruder, which I still think <laughs> is a pretty crap episode to go out on. You know. Um. Anyway, are we ready to go ahead and uh, and dive in full to this one? Let's do it. I got I got right, a good amount of notes so, for this one. All right, excellent. So this one aired according to the information i could find it aired on uh, march 14th 1969 that was the original air date for this one and the synopsis from the star trek compendium by alan asherman this is actually a pretty good when i reread i pre-read this uh in anticipation of the episode on the planet serpitan i think that's pronounced how it's pronounced serpitan is that right but I always want to say Serpidian, and that is not right because that's—I'm thinking of that Star Wars, Star comic. Wars issue. Yeah, on the planet Serpidian, which is about to be engulfed in the explosion of its sun, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy discover a huge library. The aged librarian, Mister Atos, has supervised the transferal of his planet's people into past eras by use of a machine called the Atavacron, which I always thought was a really cool name. I always like that.
1: It's one of my favorite sound effects of the Star Trek sound effects yes. library. I have yeah, too. I they, use it a lot.
0: Yeah. When they jump back yep. through the thing. Yeah, I like that. Uh, when Kirk hears a woman scream while he is examining a past era, he leaps through the Atavacron's portal to help. Spock and McCoy, attempting to locate Kirk, unintentionally enter Serpidion's ice age. Or Ser- Ser- see, I did it. I did it again. Serpidian's ice age, where they meet the beautiful exile Zerabeth. While, uh, excuse me, with the aid of another time, tra- uh, another traveler in time, Kirk returns to the library. Meanwhile, in the past, Spock is fallen in love with Zerabeth, and his human half begins to dominate him. Uh, that is totally not true. <laughs> exactly, Zerabeth. <laughs> Zarebeth tells Spock and McCoy that they cannot return to the present without dying, but she has erroneously assumed that they were, quote-unquote, prepared, as she was, to live only in the past. Returning to the place where they entered the Ice Age, Spock and McCoy locate the time portal, uh, time portal and, guided by Kirk's voice, return to the present. Zarebeth remains isolated in the past. Atos enters the past to join his family, and the Enterprise leaves as Serpidon is destroyed. It's kind of, eh, I think we say this a lot. It's kind of a dry synopsis, but, I mean, factually, it's pretty close. Except with the whole thing with uh, uh, Spock being dominated by his human... That is totally not what happens. No, I, But yeah. we're going to talk about that, because uh, I chanced across uh, an interesting theory on that subject. Because one of the things that's always stood out in me, to me in this episode is they make a big friggin' deal about the fact that because they are five thousand years in the past, that Spock slowly regresses to being uh, basically a Vulcan of that era. So he is a a a Vulcan contemporary with you know five you know the Vulcans of five thousand years ago. So he's more primitive. He eats meat. He wants woman. All this kind of stuff. Well, um, okay, McCoy's there with him too. So why doesn't McCoy regress to a human from five thousand years because ago? Because I think a human and from I... five thousand years ago
1: weren't that I mean, structurally I mean, weren't we weren't that different, you know, than we are than than the Vulcans were in that five thousand year you know, the five the Vulcans totally had to like re, basically reprogram their collective brain. Whereas we humans have never done anything like that. We've had movements and civilization and stuff. But we were just... We were sort of the... Like, I mean, if you took guys from 5,000 years ago, I think, and put them and, like, grab babies from 5,000 years ago and raised them in modern society, they would be just like people now, I think. I think they would, you know, learn and adapt to our society. I don't think we... We might have had more war and stuff because we had to scrabble for food, but we weren't, you know, That I mean, the intimation is Vulcans were kind of like the uh, Romulans at one point. Right, you know? right. And, uh, you know, which is sort of like more intelligent Klingons. And humans, we've just always been just the same sort of like turd-like humans, the... <laughs> I don't know. I would love to have somebody with, like, an actual anthropology degree to, to, to clarify where humans were 5,000 years ago. I mean, I think we were, like, evolved in, you know, we'd have to go back millions to get, like, Cro, you know, to where we were Cro-Mag. Because I'm thinking the right. human side of Spock is probably the, the side that's, like, the most... Once his Vulcan side regresses, his human side's the reasonable side by comparison you know, at that point. Right. If you wanted to like figure it out either way, it was, it still made him into a hostile pubescent teenager.
0: Well, here's what got me to think about it is uh, looking through the notes here in the Star Trek compendium about this episode, a chance to cross this here. And it says in the immunity syndrome, it is established that Spock is able to receive telepathic impressions from a doomed starship's Vulcan crew. Apparently Spock's receiving abilities are greater than we imagine because once Spock is exposed to anxiety regarding his attraction to Zarebeth and his worry over Kirk's and McCoy's survival, he turns away from Vulcan logic and begins to act more and more human. We are led to believe that his sudden conversion into an emotional quote-unquote caveman type is the result of his being stranded in the past in an era when the distant Vulcans were illogical savages fighting amongst themselves. The only conclusion is that at least part of Spock's ability to maintain his Vulcan decorum results from his constant telepathic attachment to his father's race. Do the Vulcans constantly reach out their minds to all their people on Vulcan and beyond to produce a complex communal impulse to exclude emotional uh, responses from their lives? Unfortunately, we never learn more about this intriguing possibility. Now, when I first read that, I thought, that's crap. I don't buy that at all. However, there's a certain, I hate to say logic, but there's a certain logic to it in the aspect of we do learn in Star Trek, the motion picture, and then unfortunately it's kind of dropped and never really touched on again. But we learn in that movie, and especially in in Roddenberry's book, you know, the novelization, that to a degree this is true because that's how Spock becomes aware of V'ger in the first place is that he's in telepathic contact with it across a vast distance. So
1: well, there's been evidence. I know you haven't watched Discovery yet, but that actually makes something that seemed, you know, out of place in Discovery actually make more sense if they're if hmm. they're operating off that that idea. I never knew that. I've never heard that theory before. I vaguely remember that from Star Trek, the motion picture. Right. But I could see see that they could have, like, one segmented part of their mind that deals with that, you know? So they're not consciously, like, have a radio playing in their head all the time, but... Right. But they could probably Obi-Wan Kenobi if, like, you know, their planet blew up or something like that.
0: Like, they gain a, a measure of of stability and support from one another or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, just some it's interesting idea. Some,
1: like maybe, um, even like subconscious level, you know? So it's not something that they're constantly, you know, dealing with. Maybe they can log onto it like the internet and go on and like, <laughs> but you know, I mean, if it was something that they were like, you know, you wanted to call somebody up on the phone via your, your, um, Psychic connection. If that was something that could be easily done or whatever, we probably would have seen it more in Star Trek. Right. You know, like well,
0: the, I know you were kind of half joking about the Obi Wan thing, but that is what happens to Spock in the beginning of the Immunity Syndrome. That that starship that has a, an entirely oh, Vulcan right. crew gets destroyed by the amoeba, and he has his little you know the the little Obi Wan moment. You know yeah, that's, that's right. You know, they suddenly you know they suddenly died and. You know, he has that same sort of reaction. You know, actually, he has even a, a bigger reaction, honestly, than uh, than Kenobi, because Kenobi is just kind of like, you know, a little headache. Kinda, That's just kinda something thing. that Spock, happened in I the
1: remember, galaxy. Like, this has a yeah. total connect, like connection to Spock, and yeah, right, okay, so that feeds into it even more. I thought that was kind of a, an interesting
0: little, you know, like interesting it. little theory. Ah, uh, let's see. What do you got? You said you had a bunch of notes on this one? I what thi- do you got?
1: Yeah. Uh, one thing, well, the first thing I noticed is Mr. Ataz's, like, tunic had a sort of, do- like, he could be, like, in the Doctor Strange universe. It's got a sort of <laughs> Doctor Strange, I guess it would be more like Steve Ditko than, like, you know, sort of, like, pattern on his tunic. Right. And this is another one. It's like, why don't they explain to Mr. Ataz? who they are the second they beam down instead of, so I mean, is it, is it sort of a, you know, prime directive thing or something at that point? But I mean, it would, it would really clarify things a lot more if they just came down and said, Hey, we notice your planet's about to explode. Wonder if you need any help, you know, and, uh, or, or, you know, just here to make sure everything's going. Okay. And then Mr. A would be like, Oh, that's okay. We just sent all our citizens back in time or whatever. And, and boom, episode over but uh yeah um i i watched the the restored version which in some cases i think i mean that the the nova at the end of it was nicely done wasn't and, that cool yeah and uh but and you know i guess i guess i can't pin this on the restored version because this would be in any like of the high res, you know, um, improved versions of it too. There was a, there was a little bit of, um, problem with the increased resolution bringing out some of the, 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 you know, more obvious, um, theatrical aspects of it, you know, like plasticity as sets when they, when they have the snow in their hair, you can just see how it was just sprayed right
0: into their hair. Well, when it, with Spock, especially with Spock's hair and his his ears, it reminds me of. Do you remember that spray-on crap you used to be able to to buy at Christmas time?
1: Oh yeah, and yeah, spray yeah.
0: on your tree to make it look like like a fake, and it always looked like crap. It never looked real. It, it looked like, like. Have you ever seen shaving cream where when it's like when like it dries hours up, hours old? Yeah. You know, and it's all, yeah, that's what it looked like to me. That's yeah. very
1: possible, <clears throat> very possibly what it was. You know. As a right. matter of fact, I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't doubt that that stuff got into the into the public's hand after being like a stage, you know, something right. you bought for stage makeup in the past. And they were like, you know, if you spray this on your windows, it looks like snow. Um, <laughs> but that leads, the high def leads to my first nitpick. I think I beat the nitpickers guide on this and found two nitpicks in this episode. All right. Okay. And this was something... That uh, the, the we can give the um, the the guy who wrote the nitpicker's guide a little uh, leeway on because he might have watched this back in the regular TV days, but there's a there's a scene in the cave, where McCoy says to uh, Spock, "You lied to me, Spock." Totally dubbed over. Lips do not move at all. <laughs> I watched it like five <laughs> times to be sure, and I'm like, wow, they they just they just didn't. He, I mean, he's full face on to the screen and he's sort of he's not in the background of the shot but he's further back that Scott Spock's like in the front to the left and McCoy's like five feet behind him to the right and that yeah they just didn't even bother and I was figuring you know you you wouldn't have picked it up on a tv set probably I never picked it up before so
0: I wonder, if, is this the one? Because there, there is a thing here under continuity and production problems that says McCoy has been taking ventriloquist, le- ventriloquist be lessons it. from Kirk. This is the first time the doctor walks into Zerbes outer chamber. He speaks while his lips are sealed. Is that it?
1: That might be another one. I think this was one where they were sitting and talking, so I don't think he walked. He was just sort of sitting there. <laughs> I'd have to watch it again. So maybe it ha- maybe they did a, a lot of post bad post-dubbing on this one. My second one's more, more idea-oriented. Okay, so the problem with them being in the past is they have not had their, I guess, genetics, basically. is They, they just didn't have the words for it then. Their genetics haven't been altered to adjust to whatever the differences is in the universe at that time period so that they will die if they stay there long enough. Right. All right, so they get back, Alright, so Kirk gets back, right? And and but then gets knocked out by Doctor by Mr. Ataz and wakes up just as Mr. Ataz is about to fling him into the past, right? Right. If Mr. Ataz is gonna fling him into the into someplace just to, to get rid of him, he probably altered he probably had to alter Kirk's DNA to do it. So Kirk laying on that thing has probably had his DNA altered already, so they don't don't really address that. So was did Kirk get back to the ship and be like, "I'm getting all these weird lumps, and you know, there's an ear growing out of the back of my head Or, you know? <laughs> or was Mr. Ataz just a douche because these guys were screwing up his last moments that he was just going to fling Kirk in. This is even worse, fling Kirk into the past just so he could die in a little while. So that was something I don't think they were thinking of in the, in the writing aspect of of this one. And even if someone thought about it, they probably just told them to shut up and keep filming. (laughs) (laughs) But really that was the, I mean, those are, those things are kind of minor, compared to that, you know, I mean the, the, the storyline is really more about the, you know, the character um, interaction between Spock and McCoy, really. Kirk's adventure is just sort of the side adventure that drives everything forward. And as, you know, an exploration of Spock and, and McCoy with a woman between them and uh, Spock, you know, degenerating into, into adolescence, is a really that's some meaty stuff to bite into, and they do get. I mean, Spock throttles him by the neck, and that was probably something right. that amused us back in the day. But you know, but it was pretty intense though. And and here we go back to high school. But you know, what that moment always reminded me of the, What's the that? probably something that played out eight million times in that kid Charles Petty's head. In our <laughs> high school Because remember he always had Star Trek books He had the Spock haircut He was like right. He never spoke And just stoic And people would pick on him And I'll bet he just wanted to turn around And grab him by the neck and go like I don't think I like the way you're talking very much <laughs> And that, that scene is That scene is really good Because it's just like Yeah all those years of him picking on McCoy picking on him and thinking like I know I'm getting his goat a little bit, but he's a Vulcan, blah blah blah, and here's where it's just like, yeah, <laughs> maybe not such a good idea, McCoy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I it, for for an out, even even Kirk's world is pretty well developed, even though it's just sort of like a medieval Earth world down to the costumes and stuff. They give everything their own names and stuff like that and i can't remember what they call the police but the police had their own sort of little you know nickname right there so it's this just...
0: that was the part of this episode i never liked when i was a kid and i still don't really like it now just because it's a little too on the nose it's a little bit too much you know three musketeers or something you know, it, it, it just it feels a little too earth centric for me. And yes, one of my biggest problems with with this part, you know, the Kirk part, right from when I was a kid. Now I know that I'm going deaf, but yes. even when I was a kid, I could not understand what the hell is that woman saying in the when they first meet. I can only pick like every like fifth word out that she's saying. She's got such a strong. What is that, an Irish accent? It's like a Cockney accent almost. Whatever but it is, I, it's really strong. And I I'm wonder if they did that on purpose, those. though, just to I, make I it know. disorienting. Yeah. yeah, she was
1: just like, I don't know what caused that made of you. Right. <The woman> said. <laughs>
0: exactly. He, and he just needs to be like, yeah, yeah, go away. You bother uh, me.
1: I, 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 What I thought was funny is, is at first Kirk was like, Eh, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I uh, yeah, I know you can see him thinking about it.
0: I'm like uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe with some soap and water, maybe.
1: There was a fun moment, although there was a fun moment after his sword fight when he whooped their ass with the sword fight, and then he just sort of like whacking him on the butt with the sword right, afterwards. yeah, I like that part. Yeah. Where he does his swagger afterwards, he does a little, you know, he struts around a little bit and keeps whipping the sword around, and he's just like, yeah, that's right. Kirk's still in action. <laughs> Even when I don't know what the hell's going on, I still kick He's their He's pretty ass. good with the yep. blade
0: too. He he holds his own against those guys, which is pretty funny. Well, let's see. I've got a bunch of notes on this one as well. Um, I almost hesitate to bring this up because probably everybody knows this at this point. But I feel like I I just have to bring it up anyway. Uh, oh, Mister Ataz's computer, the Atavacron, is Gary Seven's computer from uh, Oh, what the hell episode is that? Now I can't think of the name of it. But you know, uh,
1: Mission Earth.
0: Something like that. Assignment Earth. Assignment, assignment Earth. Yes.
1: Earth.
0: Yeah. The uh, what was it? The Beta Five, I think, was the name of his computer. But anyway, it is the exact same computer from that. It just with uh, a different different sound effects. Yep. Mr. Atos, I always like this guy. Um, I had to look up his name, the actor's name, because I, I could not remember. It. It's Ian Wolfe is the actor's name. I always remember. I mean, this guy's been in a million movies and TV shows. He's just one of those character He's actors so you see easy a lot. To,
1: to mix up with my favorite Martian, they're very similar. Yes, he, he
0: looks a lot like him, and I also think he looks like a lot like. Uh, uh, there's another character i know i'm blanking on which one it it was but there's another character actor that i often confuse him with as well but i always remember this guy best from the uh the tony curtis houdini movie from the 50s because he's in that as well he has a he has a part in that and i always remember him from that movie but he was actually in another episode of star trek um bread and circuses he's in that one as well playing a different character of course but yeah but I always liked him in this. I always liked the the part he plays and I, I like where he's basically toward the end of it, he's kind of begging for his life because he knows that, you know, the the clock is ticking. He's really he's the only one that really knows what's happening. And, you know, he makes that pretty apparent right at the beginning of the episode that, oh yes, yes, we've been aware of what's going on and he's basically staying behind to make sure everybody else is taken care of. But now, you know, the time is up and it's time for him to go and he wants to go be with his family. And Kirk is holding him back from that, you know, potentially to their peril. And I really like that. I, I like that you can feel the anxiety that Mister Atos is feeling as he knows the clock is ticking down. And I really like how he he's as soon as I thought of a I thought of a way to avoid
1: that. What's that? If you're Mister Atos, just take take the leap through the Atavacron back a day or two. <laughs> Give yourself some more time (laughs) I don't think you'd even have to change your DNA
0: really Right Probably not Yeah (laughs) That's a good point But he still probably missed his wife and kids And wanted
1: to make sure they were okay But even then he's still going to show up Half a second after they showed up anyway
0: I always thought it was cute. Uh, you know, his name is actually a play on words because, you know, it's the library. He's the librarian. It's Atoz, it's A to Z, A-T-O-Z. I always thought that was kind of cute. Um, I like the the part where Spock is, is deciding to stay with McCoy as McCoy is slowly freezing to death. And they're really kind of stymied at that point. You know, it, it looks like it might be all over for them. And they look up and you know, Zarabeth is standing there. Of course, we don't know it's her yet. And just the, the the framing of that in the outfit that she's wearing where you can't see the face or anything very much reminds me of like some sort of like polar version of the, the ghost of Christmas future or something. Just, yes, you know, with, with the way. The, yeah, exactly. You know, with with the way the, you know, the robe falls on her and you can't see her face, you can't see any hands. And I think doesn't she kind of raise her arm and kind gestures off into the distance. yeah yeah just like yeah so that yeah, did it reminded me a lot of uh, of a christmas carol in that particular part now marriott hartley she i've always thought that this woman's very attractive and even today she's she's still a very attractive woman and she's got to be what she's got to be in her 70s or 80s she's by be now in her 70s imagine. by now yeah um i was besides this episode I always remember her best as. Do you remember? I, you used to watch the Hulk, right? The Incredible yeah. Hulk with Bill Bixby. Yeah. Do you remember the episode? It was a two-part episode, I, I think, or it may, it may have been one of the TV movies. I think it's in the early in the second season, but it was a. Uh, it was where Banner falls in love again, and he actually gets married again, to a woman that it turns out she has a terminal illness. I vaguely and, remember that. I think it, I want to say it takes place in, I want to say, in Hawaii. Now, how the hell he gets to Hawaii with no passport or, or you know, social security number or anything, I don't know. But I'm pretty the sure Hulk that's can swim there. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But I, I think that is where it's either Hawaii or California. So I don't I forget now, but I want to say it's Hawaii. But anyway, she is uh, she's some top scientist in in whatever field it is that that deals with trying to cure he goes there to to her of course you know so many of the early episodes were about him finding a cure for himself that's right and don't so they basically almost find the cure or they're like this close type right. deal with yeah, it and i, I think, i'm remembering I it more that, and more i, I want to say if i'm remembering it right i think it has something to do with with basically the cure for for either of them is basically tied together like if they can cure one of them they're going to cure the other one or something to that effect like like his condition can help her condition or or his cure can help something like that but anyway she she ends up there's a hurricane and that's where it it gets a little cheesy but she she it's like there's something wrong with I don't know if it was like a brand I don't know that they ever come right out and say what it is that's wrong with her. But I just remember her like holding her head and she's like in like excruciating pain and she wanders out into this hurricane. And he goes after her into the hurricane and of course turns into the Hulk in the middle of this hurricane. And she basically, like, dies in his arms kind of thing, if I remember right. But it was a really powerful See, I, episode. I think I mean, she it,
1: probably, maybe it, she had, like, a brain tumor or something like that. Because I sort of remember like that. Yeah. In that a lot of it was tied into cell, cells growing uncontrollably, which is cancer. Right. Yeah. So it was yeah. probably tied into cancer.
0: Right. And I think that they were trying to find a way to use... His metamorphosis to cure her, or something like that, and I think they were like right on the cusp of it, but ran out of time or something. Something I don't know. I need to go back and watch right. this again. But anyway, that was always that was always one of the episodes that I really really liked as a kid because it kind of because broke I can remember it, it, it did, and I remember it being a really powerful episode, especially from from Bixby's point of view, because Bixby really. Sells it in that one that he you know he really is in love with this woman and that he's really torn up about what happens and I can distinctly remember there being uh, this recurring dream sequence where she was on a bus looking out the back window of the bus and like waving to him as he's running down the street in slow motion like you know like you do in dreams and he's like oh my God." god and weeping and like reaching out like he can't get to her because the bus is driving away like taking her to you know, to death. You wow. Know? This you're, you're it's pulling powerful.
1: Up, you're pulling up stuff deep for, I can see that sequence sequence.
0: Yeah. And yeah. It's had to be, in... that might even be the same one. I could be wrong, but that might also be the same one where she like uses hypnosis on him and he goes in his mind, he goes into the desert And the Hulk and Banner are two different entities that fight, or something like. Does that sound familiar? Or maybe I'm thinking of a different episode. I'm not sure. I
1: I, I was about to say like how long it was. I was doing the math in my head, and I was gonna say, "I haven't seen that in 30 years." And then I started. Then my brain said, "Wait a minute! No, it's closer to 40 years." (laughs) That you watched. (laughs) That I watched. That I was watching that show like every week. Every Friday, I think.
0: Well, I I don't think it's on there. But uh, while I was up in Georgia recently visiting family, uh, we stopped at this this place that, uh, at, for all intents and purposes, like a giant indoor garage sale. And I scored season one of the Hulk on DVD for two dollars. Sounds great. Season one, the whole season for two bucks. I was like, okay, that sounds pretty good. But I'm pretty sure that episode is not a season one episode. But anyway, um. Now I've always wondered: Is the reference to this island Earth is that intentional? You think, or is that just just happen to be the words that they use? Did they say this island Earth? Well, because Kirk tells the whatever he is the the judge or whatever that guy's supposed to be the, the the Quaker Oats guy, right? <laughs> he tells him that he's from an island. And the guy says, "What is this island?" And he says, "This island is Earth, or or something." You know, he uh, Kirk just says Earth, and then the guy says, "I've never heard of this island, Earth." And I'm uh, every time I hear that, I always wonder, okay, is that a sly reference to this island I'll Earth? Bet you is just... is. I'll I bet you it is. I bet it is. <laughs> uh, we talked about Spock regressing. Um, you don't get a whole lot of Shatnerisms in this, but I do like the karate chop to the neck because that's gotta hurt. When he when he's he frees himself when he's he's got the guy in like the arm hold, he does that complex maneuver
1: of unlocking and, and right. keeping the guy throttled through the whole thing, <laughs> and then he just
0: like karate chops him and like <laughs> <laughs> that's got, he could potentially break the guy's neck. <laughs> that's
1: that's the human version. Uh, that's the human version of the Vulcan neck pinch. <laughs> it's
0: not as subtle. <laughs> right. Right. It leaves you aching much more. Um, there's not a lot of enhancement in the enhanced version, but I'm with you. I really like the supernova at the end or the nova or whatever it's supposed to be because I was watching to see if it was gonna happen and it happens if you watch the wave, and the wave doesn't happen like it does in like Star Trek 2 or anything where it's like a like a circle a wave. Ring. It's yeah. it's more yeah, like a ring. It's more like a like a cloud. But if you watch it right to the very end, that cloud eventually hits the planet and just like slowly just wipes it away, and it, it's it's very subtle. But if you're watching for it, I thought that was really cool because they do something similar in um, in um, generations when uh, when the star blows up when uh, Doctor Soren destroys that star, and you right. see planet that that he and the car basically he goes into the nexus but Ricard's left on the planet and you see that wave hit the planet and just wipe it right out and the same things happening here but in a much smaller scale i thought that was really cool
1: if i remember right when the way that it was originally it was just basically the screen lit up you know just went from a little right. pinpoint and lit up and and went away but yeah i like how they do this but they don't Go too crazy. They just do the special effects enough to where you're like, okay, this is a little more modern, but it fits. It all, you know. Right. As always, they just do a good job of of doing it. And it's funny. It's uh, with a lot of these Star Trek shows, they probably had to divide them into the category of ones they had to change like all the way through it. Like maybe in Muck Time, where they had to do mats of Vulcan and stuff and then the and then the vast majority of them they probably only had to do something at the beginning and the end you know with the spaceship flying around the planet or something and those they those were probably like whew, we got three easy ones in a row before we have to <laughs> 3d render vulcan <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's really all i've got as far as specific notes about the episode itself i wanted to talk a little bit about something that uh we did mention last time is that this one uh this episode does have a direct sequel in the star trek novels as a matter of fact it has two direct sequels um the first one Is I forget which number book this is but it's one of the very earliest of the pocket books uh, Star Trek books Um, and this was actually the first one that ever hit the New York Times bestseller list this uh, but of course it's a very early book um, in that series and I could be wrong, but I'm I'm pretty sure, just based on the time, this was published in 1983, so we were all at 15 when this book came out. I'm pretty confident in in stating that I think this is the very first Star Trek book I ever read. and I remember you really liking it. I loved this book when I was a kid. And I was a little nervous to pull it back out and read it again because I was really hoping that I wouldn't read it and be like, Eh, this is crap. Why did I like this crap? Um, But I did reread it for this episode, and uh, I am very uh, pleased to report that, damn, it holds up. It is a really, really solid book. So the... The basic premise on this, and I, I'm going to be spoilery, so if you don't want to be spoiled, just fast forward a couple of minutes. I, I figure you know hell, the book is what at this Thirty-some 30 years, years old, yeah. so you know. <laughs> but uh, the the basic plot on this is that somebody on the Enterprise is I want to say she's like an ensign or it's just you know she's some not ver- you know particularly important character comes to Spock and, and is and, and shows him something that. He quickly figures out that, oh my gosh, I I know what this is from. And he quickly figures out that something has happened in the past based on events from this episode, All Our Yesterdays. And the basic conceit of this book is that Spock discovers that he had impregnated Zarebeth and that she bore him a son in the distant past of Serpidin. So he actually gets permission. um, And I want to say they, I think they have to go through. I think they end up going through. Yes, they do. They go through. um, What was her name from a mock time? The, the head Vulcan to, 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 Oh God, to because to is somehow has to do with Spock's family um you know in in the fact that spock's family is an important family on Vulcan and everything but basically she gets um the enterprise permission to go to the guardian's planet so because you have to remember serpentin's been destroyed at this point so they can't just go back to serpent serpentin and use the the uh to go back because the planet doesn't exist anymore but they but Spock feels responsible for what's happened. and in, in Spock's mind, they're dealing with like a child. So he wants to go back and, and you know, try to you know, do whatever he's going to do. So they go back to the Guardian's planet and they use the Guardian of Forever to travel back to the distant past. And when they arrive there, Spock's a little dismayed to find that he's thinking a child but when he gets there uh, who he finds is actually a young man Um, now the article I'm looking at here says he's 28 I don't that sounds a little bit older than I remember from the book but anyway he's in his 20s so he's not really a child and his name is Czar. And his mother, unfortunately, had died a good number of years before. So he's been living completely on his own in this barren wasteland since the death of his mother. And he's very, you know, obviously very happy to be discovered by his father and be rescued. So because he was born there, he didn't have this conditioning and everything. And they never really touch on that again, the whole thing of, you know, you have to be prepared and all that. Well, right, so his
1: genetics and and his genetics would be like, well, now they'd be like one third, yeah, something in.
0: like that, yeah, so they actually bring him back with them, and so they bring him to modern day on the enterprise, and there uh basically he's he's taken he's taken in by of course Spock because Spock's his father. But he's kind of taken in by the crew, and especially by Doctor McCoy. Doctor McCoy really takes a shine to the kid. Um, he finds him to be a you know a, a very uh, intelligent boy. You know, he's very likable and everything. And I think, to a certain degree, although they don't touch on it a whole lot, I think McCoy also feels a sense of responsibility to him because he also knew his mother, and that sort of thing. And he also tried to get in it's his a mother's really, pants. Right. <laughs> Well, it's it's sample a sample really... the local cuisine. Excuse me. <laughs> it's a really good and a, a really excellent examination of the dynamics between these characters because it sets up a, a, an interesting little triangle between Czar Spock as his father, and then McCoy is almost like a surrogate father or like a more like a like a like uncle. an uncle. And it's interesting because you quickly both come to really like Czar, but you also come to really feel really badly for him because Czar had a certain image of his father that was painted for him by his mother. Now his mother you know only knew Spock for a very short time and while she knew him he was a passionate lover. Well we know Spock's not really like that and so Spock of course is not going to give the kid a big hug and smooches you know he's going to treat him like a Vulcan father and the book also has this element in it where Spock at first you think Spock's treating him like a bastard child and and being even extra aloof but it turns out and I don't want to spoil this part of it but it turns out that there's actually a reason for that that Spock is actually trying to protect the boy um, because he fears that if he does integrate into full Vulcan society, then that will, will be how he is perceived by others, you know, by Vulcan, you know, by fellow Vulcans as some sort of, a, you know, again, bastard child. And so it's a really interesting dynamic. But of course, Czar doesn't have the. It's not that he doesn't have the intelligence. He's very smart, but he doesn't have the. Uh, You know he wasn't raised a Vulcan so he's not able to handle this emotionally and that's really to me the crux of this book and what makes it such a fascinating read is what it's doing to this kid to be rescued after so many years of of growing up, having his mother and then living uh, I think he lives like 7 years alone without his mother to be rescued by his father and then his father is just his father is colder to him than the ice age land, landscape that he escaped from in, in his feelings And that that's powerful And so it makes a really interesting story and I, I won't spoil it as far as how it resolves but uh, the ending to it is uh, is really good as well and it's uh, equally heartbreaking. Now this made me think of something and I know it's kind of weird but again
1: you're talking to me what if do you think Zarabeth could have been like, not this specifically, but but like an axe murderer. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I I started thinking about, like, because she gives him the story of like, blah, 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 the you know, this dictator from this time didn't like me because of my politics or whatever, so he sent me, or he didn't like her family and decided not to kill her and send her back in time. But, what if, because she also exhibited some qualities of crazy lady, although yes, she has been on the planet on alone too. She yeah. has been on the planet alone for a long time, which can, that, that, that's some valid excuse for being crazy lady, but you know, at the same time, she's been alone on the planet. She's got two men now, you know, and she was just, you know, I'm thinking this character could tell them anything to get, you know, and whatever she's going to tell them is going to be sympathetic but she could have, like, been axing people like crazy and they were just like, yeah, yeah you know what? Death death is too good for you. We're going to send you back to the Ice Age, you know, and let you live out your life there. So, you know, something like that. And so, yeah, it's, it, I, I've always thought of her as this tragic character. But now that I'm thinking about it, she could have been, she could have been a tragic character. She could have been off her rocker loony, you
0: know. Well here's what got me to thinking about that. So in the nitpicker's guide, he says here, supposedly and this is that that simple word is what got me to thinking about this. He says, supposedly, a tyrant banished Zarabeth to this time period. Tyrants aren't known for their benevolence, which is a great point. Why if somebody hates her, why would they do this? If a tyrant rules Serpidin... Why would he arrange for all the inhabitants to find safety in the past? Surely he has made enemies. If he knows Serpent and Sun will soon explode, why not lock away his antagonists and let the Nova vaporize them? This is a great point, but it never touches on the thing that, you, that you're you touching on. But that's what I thought. As soon as I read that first line, supposedly a tyrant banished there about to this time period, got me to thinking, you know what? We're taking her story at face value. Yep. And I she's also hot. picked up on what <laughs> you said that there's a little bit of the crazy lady in there because when she, at the very beginning of her meeting Kirk and, and uh, I, excuse me Spock and McCoy rather, and she does the whole thing, I'm 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 going mad, <laughs> and I thought, uh huh, okay. So maybe and the, she's there because she was already slipping into nutsville to begin with. And she so was so maybe she's Spock created McCoy. this. Right. She, she, McCoy, was, she created de- created McCoy this. was
1: coming onto her, but she was just like, "Oh, let's give this McCoy a shot too." So she was a little a <laughs> boy, you know and what was funny about that is mccoy was just mccoy who is the wesley crusher of star of the old school star trek who just never gets laid and when he does he's ready to get married was like (laughs) finally thinking to himself well mccoy now you're finally in the position where kirk finally is is the only guy with human with red Warm blood pumping with, with a lady in a fur bikini, and just his luck that's when Spock gets his emotions juiced. It's at a Spock gets his emotions juiced up episode. It's gotta be so frustrating for McCoy, just like because he said he's confident, it's how he's just like, Yeah, I'd like to sample the local cuisine, and then he's like, Yeah, well, you know, at least Spock here won't be interested. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yep. Poor guy but she was she was like she was like well you know maybe i'll see which one of these guys like kills the other one in their sleep you know because <laughs> i just can't decide <laughs> <laughs> so there maybe that's our star trek novel is the backstory of zero you know she was Zerabeth the the marauder or something like that but <laughs> but they they sort of address like you know why didn't he kill you and she did something like you know I was just the family of it and they figured this was worse than death or something. it doesn't really line up good enough you know it would line right. up good enough if you're basically at the bar and you're like hey she's hot yeah good story I like that <laughs> you know but if you start thinking about it too much it's like oh, I don't know it's probably easier just to kill you <laughs> have you ever read this one? the book? no yeah it's after last episode I went and looked and I have the sequel. To, I have the sequel to this in physical form, but I thought I had the the first one, but I don't.
0: <laughs> See, I, if I wish I'd known that. I would have had you read that because I can't. I can't find that book. As a matter of fact, I stopped by. We have this huge. I think I took you there when you were here. There's a huge, um, used bookstore not far from us, and I went there today because I've always thought, man, that place has every freaking Star Trek book under the sun. Well, of course they didn't have that one. Um, I have read the sequel, but I say read in quotes because I think I must have listened to it on audiobook because I don't actually have a cop a copy I, of it. I seem to remember you I seem to remember you reading it and i I, I think
1: I remember you telling me the storyline of it, and it was basically Spock it was basically well, what was the was his name? Yeah. Zar, Zar basically became like Conan the Barbarian. Yes, on some other planet, and was like riding around on like some saber, you know, on a saber-toothed tiger, and became like a great leader of an army or something. You know, it basically sounded like Conan the Barbarian in Star Trek. With I just remember
0: (laughs) not liking it as much. I I started. I I have a uh, a digital copy of it. And I started reading it and I didn't get any, it was weird because I blew through Yesterday's sun rereading that in a single afternoon because it was just, it's a page turner. It's a really good book. And I started reading, the second one is called Time for Yesterday. She, she wrote it five years later, but unfortunately, despite all her assurances in the beginning of the book that she's not just giving into sequelitis. Unfortunately, it just it feels like sequelitis. It feels like she just gave into the pressure that, hey, this was such a, a a huge selling book. We need you to do another one. We need you to keep it going. And I I, I do want to track down an actual paper copy and, and give it a fair read or reread or whatever. Um, but I just don't remember liking this one as much because of exactly what you said. The 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 two problems I had with it were um for one thing, czar is now much older. If if I'm not mistaken, I think czar is now biologically older than his father when they meet up with him again. And it does very much have that like kind of like Conan, the barbarian type of thing where now he's like a, a, a tribal leader, um, you know, of the primitive people of serpentine or something to that effect. I just remember thinking that it's not that it wasn't a bad story or anything it's just it it, it lacks what i love so much about yesterday's son which was the emotional aspect it was all about fathers and sons right. and strange relationships and all that and the second one to my memory anyway doesn't quite have that it's more of a I, I don't know it's just it's more of an adventure tale and that's not really what i was looking for i wasn't looking for you know, Spock goes and plays. You know, barbarian. I was looking for more. You know, more continuation of of that first book. But all you know, it in might the long an run, an attempt
1: to branch off. You know, and get right a, a little side franchise or side character that that you could run a string of books on. You know,
0: I, I ended up feeling that in the long run, it was it was kind of a mistake because Yesterday's Sun ends in a way where. It's one of those stories where you, you you don't really need a sequel because it ends, I don't want to say beautifully, but it, it's nicely wrapped up at the end of it. And, it. and to me, yesterday's sun ends with that that music from Charlie X, you know, where you just you feel bad about what's happened, but what's done is done, kind of thing. So to pick it back up again with time for yesterday, and and then okay, now we're gonna you know. Reopen this wound. I just, I ultimately, I don't really see the point of it if you're not going to improve upon it or, or you know what I mean. Maybe, maybe she thought it was okay because she did run in such a different direction with it. It wasn't just a rehash of what she'd already done. I mean, she did re-examine the character and do something completely different with it. It's just, I don't like what the different thing was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I, fa- so, I, I found the
1: book. I was dug around. I just dug it out. And the cover is like Spock in his Star Trek II outfit. Right. I believe. And then Czar on basically a horse that they've added sharp fangs, pointy ears, and a horn onto. Yeah. But it's basically a horse.
0: And he's to- riding it through the... the Guardian, Guardian of forever
1: with a sword, like just yeah. right out of a like out of a Conan cover, yeah. And, and they sort of they sort of like, it's like that like the back the little synopsis on the well. Just I'll read it. Uh, Time in the galaxy has stopped running in its normal course. That can only mean one thing: the Guardian of Forever is malfunctioning. Oh really? Is that the one thing it could mean? To save the universe, Starfleet Command reunites three of its most legendary figures: Kirk. Spock and McCoy and sends him on a desperate mission to contact the Guardian, a journey that ultimately takes him 5,000 years in the past. They must find Spock's son, Zar, once again and bring him back to their time to telepathically communicate with the Guardian. It's sort of like... It makes it sound more like Star Trek IV with the whales. Right. But Czar is enmeshed in troubles of his own, and soon Kirk, Spock, and McCoy find themselves in a desperate struggle to both save both their world and his... So it basically sounds like they get Kirk, Spock, and McCoy into a sword and sorcery story, which isn't a bad premise eh. necessarily. But I mean, the the other one sounded more of you know, uh, it, like you said, a character study, and it sounded you know this this sounds like an excuse, a premise to get them together and
0: get him into Sword and Sorcery world. Here's the cover copy on, on the original one, The yesterday's Sun. The Romulans attacked the planet Gateway where Federation scientists are studying the Guardian of Forever, the mysterious, mysterious portal to the past. The Starship Enterprise must protect the Guardian or destroy it. But Spock has already used the portal to journey to the past. On the planet Serpentine, 5,000 years ago, Spock knew a beautiful primitive woman. Now he has gone back to meet... His son, and that—that's pretty much it. Now, see, I had thought, I had thought that the Guardian was destroyed at the end of that, but I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of a different book. But I thought that they crashed a starship into it or some shit <laughs> like that. But I, I don't know. I must be thinking of. I don't know, it's funny. I just I just, I just starship this like the starship heading towards the Guardian, month,
1: but. and the Guardian going, "No, no." <laughs> Stop! No! Oh shit! That's the 2018 version when it just before it crashes into it.
0: I do. Uh, I do highly recommend the first one though. If you're if you're just gonna read one, read that one. It it is a really good book. Um, and there was an audio book, although I think the audio book is. Uh, I think all these early audiobooks were abridged, which is why I don't tend to to listen to yeah. the yeah it was only 90 minutes I don't think you can do the whole book in 90 minutes but it was by uh, Leonard Nimoy and James Doohan were the narrators for it so interesting it might be
1: fun to listen yeah. to but yeah 90 minutes is like a short story you know a, a yeah. long short story or a short novella or something
0: I mean, this book is already short. I mean, you know, like I say, if I can, it's 191 pages. If I can blow through it in an afternoon, so can you. So yeah, yeah. Seek if you haven't ever read it, seek it out. It is actually really good. It is one of the best of the uh, the original um, pocket book series of uh, of Star Trek books. It's one of the earliest ones as well. But uh, as I say, I, I, I still hold this one in pretty high regard. It's it's still a good book that has. Uh, it feels like a classic episode, which is what I really liked about it because a lot of the a lot of the Star Trek novels they get a little too weird or they get a little too Mary Sue or something like that. And this one doesn't. this one this one actually feels like when you' when you're reading this one, it's easy to visualize this one as a classic episode. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that low page count helps with that because yeah. then they're not they're not padding it out with a bunch of crap it moves like a like an episode would have to because you'd have to be able to watch it in 50 minutes you know and the book feels that way it doesn't feel padded it moves right along it tells the story it needs to tell and it gets the hell out and it doesn't have a lot of extraneous crap in it that you wouldn't have time for in a in a you know an hour you know in a presentation of an hour on television and that's what it feels like so yeah but anyway yeah i like this one yesterday's Sun by ac crispin check it out it's a good read so you think
1: it's about time for me to you ever you ever heard that thing up hmm you ever heard of stink bugs yes yeah well they've made it up to new york state (laughs) yeah And I was trying to fire up the old, don't ask why, but I was trying to fire up the old Star Trek computer the other day and it was just not starting and like finally for the first time I took the back off it. Mm-hmm. Was there stink bugs in it? There were stink bugs, dead stink bugs. I think Ew. some of old, some, some things that Kirk left in there that I really, this that, that, not that this is a family show, but you know, just to keep, just to keep things not, <laughs> not too offensive or gross for anybody. Let's just say, yeah. Let's just say I found a few mementos of Kirk's in there and uh, so yeah I had to vacuum the whole
0: thing out and I I think I've got it working pretty decently so we have we're down to 16 episodes so you want to set your number generator to between 1 and 16
1: okay oh there it goes (laughs) and uh, yeah at least there aren't stink bugs flying out the vents of it all right. Oh, number 4.
0: Number 4 no is really in the season or relatively it early. Is, well, it is. It is The Man Trap, the very first televised episode of Star Trek. Oh, wow. The Man Trap. Have we I, not done this man The Man Trap, really? Wow. That's
1: exactly what I was thinking, but I guess not.
0: Mm. I would have sworn we had done that one. I don't know. What do you think about you, you like that one, right? Uh, we're gonna get
1: salty on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, not really that big <laughs> a fan of it. If I, <laughs> you I know what, you liked I think we one. did th- the one. I think we did the one with uh, was it Zeph- with Zephyrin Cochran, right? I think that's the one we we did that's very similar to this because he's communing with.
0: You know, you're right. I never thought about that, but you're right. That's uh, what's the name of it? Metamorphosis. We have done metamorphosis, mm-hmm. and you're right. I never put that together. My my problem with the man trap is I I, I think it's slow. I just think it's a really slow episode. Although it, it has some interesting parts, it's slow, and and the soundtrack for that one's kind of dull to me. It's always bothered bothered me that, and I know this isn't a very rational thought, but it's always bothered me that this was the first episode of Star Trek. You know, when it's just it's, it's just almost like they did some them.
1: calculation that people would like, maybe not a lot of people would be watching it, so that it's like, it's almost like, yeah, maybe we don't want to start out really strong. Yeah, <laughs> somewhere there's got to be some 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 reminiscence from some producer or something that tells their rationale for using it but it might have been just the one that was ready who knows but yeah it's uh
0: i'm wondering if they they were thinking you know monsters or or twilight zone or something and that's why they started with that one
1: because it's it's kind of a weird one where it's more uh it's still science fiction but it's a horror it's it's a horror episode it's more along the lines of uh red jack red jack red jack (laughs) <laughs> I got to explain to somebody, they were talking about how much they love Winnie the Pooh, and, and I was just like, yep. Yeah. But whenever I hear that voice... <laughs> <laughs> you all die horribly in searing agony.
0: It does have a really good Kirk scream in that one, Some,
1: though. Someone's got to dub, dub that... Red Jack onto some Winnie the Pooh cartoons, I would really enjoy that. (laughs) If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time.
0: Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks
1: directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Future Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanso Core of Milan, Italy and by the letters F and U.